on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Some of you may not be uh, too happy with what happened last night, but uh, again, hope you're all doing well on a rainy, gloomy Thursday here in the Auburn Opelika area. And uh, got a special guest in the studio. We got Lindsey Crosby joining us here in the studio to talk all things Auburn athletics, particularly baseball, which we'll get to coming up in just a little bit. Lindsey, hello, sir. It is great to be here, as always. I uh, still love the fact that my phone syncs to the Wi-Fi every time. <laughs> that may never go away. You know that, right? I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't, because I don't remember the password. It's great. Uh, yeah, I'd have to track it down somewhere. But, uh, no, we're glad you're here. We're excited to talk uh, all things Auburn baseball with you after they pick up a midweek victory, uh, and they've got a series coming up this weekend. We'll talk about all of that, but we do have to start with Auburn basketball. We'll get to that in just a moment. And uh, first hour, it'll be Lindsey Crosby joining us in the studio. We'll have Chris Gordy, host of the Locked on SEC podcast, joining us in hour number two. Uh, but phone lines are open until then. Get Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. Anything on your mind in the sports world? How are you feeling about what happened last night in Tuscaloosa? We want to hear from you. And that's exactly where we start. 334-321-1390. Man, what a what a game, first of all, where a game that Auburn had little to no chance of winning according to us according to fans according to pretty much everybody around the country Uh, Auburn was given very little chance to go in and compete in this game more or less win this game and Auburn had every opportunity to do it and there's so many factors to get to here we're gonna hit them all but just initial reactions we'll start with you Lindsay Alabama defeats Auburn 90 to 85 in overtime last night they secure the outright SEC conference title the first thought I had was is it better to have loved and lost or never loved at all like would you rather just get blown out or would you rather ha- get to the point where you get a lead as big as you did on Alabama and then let them come back in the second half, take you to overtime and beat you? Uh, it, it was tough. That was not the way that you... like. The hard part about that is that's what sealed the, the regional... I'm oh, sorry, the regional. The regular season championship. For Get them. your mind on baseball, don't yeah, you? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Regionals. <laughs> and so, so not only is it a giant comeback over your rival... But the giant comeback over your rival that won them a championship, and so it's going to be on the DVD. It's going, there's going to be pictures of this in you know in the arena, and you hate to have lost like that. But I want to take the silver lining of look at the fight that this team had. I mean, it's something where you've lost. I, th- I think uh, Bruce touched on this. You've lost like the last four Saturdays. Mm-hmm. You very easily could have gone in there and just gotten blown out by thirty. You know, didn't even really put up a fight. And instead, you go out there and you take them literally to the wire uh, and narrowly lose thanks to some questionable officiating and, and foul calls and things like that and not trying to be that guy. But 
Think of it that way. And that's that's what I'm taking away from this. Yeah, and look, it, we'll get into all of those factors. There's different stats you can look at. There's different game situations you can look at, different scenarios that played out in this game. Officiating is one of those. We'll get to that coming up in just a few minutes. And again, we'd love to hear it from you. 334-321-1390. Carter, Auburn goes on the road and plays a fantastic game. And they played a really well uh, all-around performance. Bruce Pearl coached extremely well. I think this is one of the best games that Bruce Pearl has coached in his college career, given the things that he had he did last night when it came to matchups, adjustments, yeah. uh, going at mismatches, all of those different things, management, timeout calling, all of that. Bruce Pearl, I think, coached one of his best games of his career last night, but yet Auburn falls short by five. Your initial reaction? So when I look at this game, I look at the fact that you did get high-level production up and down the roster, and you haven't really seen that uh, in a while. Like the the bench hasn't done what the bench did in the in a, in a long time, and I think that's a credit to um, this staff to Bruce for further instilling confidence in. I mean, I, look, I've been as critical of a guy like Katie Johnson as anybody out there for the last six months. <laughs> and yeah. um, here over the last week and a half, do I necessarily, like, when he started shooting some of these threes, did I think they were good shots? No. But to this point, you kind of can't argue with the fact that, like, he's hitting them. He's and playing so, fantastic. I mean, he's playing good ball. Yes, and I think that like, that is Bruce, because Bruce talked about it in this postgame. Uh, I, I can't recall if it was the interview or the postgame press conference. He talked about, he was specifically asked about KD and the bench, but he talked about, um, he was asked about the shooting. He talked about how, the guys he had to help, I guess, instill confidence coming off losing five straight Saturdays. And the fact that this team didn't crumble under the run that has been extremely difficult, and they've lost so many close games. And then we obviously saw last this past Saturday against Kentucky where you thought, oh, no, is this is this the team falling apart? Is this the locker room crumbling? And I had I had thoughts about that. I really did because we had seen Auburn play to the level of their opponents all year, mm-hmm. and that was the first instance to me where Auburn. I don't love using the word quit in the in a game, but I think Saturday's pretty close to it if you don't want to use that word. And to see them come back and have this level of fight was unbelievable. To see the way that they made Brandon Miller uncomfortable and mm-hmm. yes he uh Brandon Miller got 17 points but he went 3 of 12 from the field again he goes 10 of 11 from the free throw line most of his points come from the free throw line he had to really really earn his 8 points in the first half and that's a credit to the game plan uh the way that uh you saw Auburn control those guards a little bit better um well they weren't shooting 80 percent i know cornerly went for 24 sears went for 17 uh but rylan griffin Jaden bradley combined for just six 
I thought the game plan was better this time around. I thought everything was a little bit better in this one. And something we talked about on the show yesterday was how easy it would have been for this Auburn team to go into Tuscaloosa and just let them beat you by 40. Like, how easy would it have been for them to say, well, we just got beat by almost 40 by Kentucky. This team is, they're the best team in college basketball. They can win a championship tonight. We're not good enough. We're not playing good enough. They're going to beat us by 30 and play like that. We had serious concerns about that yesterday going into it. I mean, nobody gave this Auburn team a chance, ourselves included, and we'll be the first ones to tell you. We did not give Auburn a chance last night in Tuscaloosa, but Auburn went in and played with unbelievable heart and effort. Bruce Pearl had a great game plan, and again, I truly believe he coached one of his best games of his career last night by doing multiple things that he normally doesn't do, running different guys in different rotations. He was calling timeouts when they were needed, which is something Bruce Pearl is not really big on doing a lot of times. He was also going at mismatches. Auburn was going at mismatches on the offensive end and running different offensive sets. And when they found something that worked, they continued to do it. Now, credit. They shot the lights out last night. Auburn shot a historic number for this team, and that helps, no doubt about it. But Auburn should be proud of the way they played last night. Did you get robbed of a win? Yeah, I think you did. I think you did get robbed of a win, and there's a lot of things to go in on that. But you got to give credit where it's due on how Auburn played last night, effort-wise, and not just walking in there with your head down and feeling defeated before the game even started. Yeah, having that, that giant lead and you know like that's something where like you said it was would have been very easy for auburn to just go in there and and run through the motions and i understand that it's your rival and i understand that you had to win one of these last three games to cement an ncaa tournament spot and yep. it's still 50 50 now whether or not you'll get one this game being as close as it was definitely helped especially after the blowout against kentucky but the way that it happened i think is the big story and to take away the positive is I'm going to say the growth of Bruce Pearl as a coach doing some of those things that are out of character and it's something where I think back to the Gus Malzahn time you would be yelling and yelling because you're like well Gus is going to run up the middle here on first and 10 (laughs) like he's going to do the thing that he always does right and then Bruce comes out and does something different from what he always does you know, m- multiple things different. The timeouts, the rotations. Some of that rotation stuff was out of necessity because yeah. you lose players late in the game to foul outs. You lose another player in overtime to injury. But Bruce shakes things up, does things differently, and it's almost good enough to knock off the SEC champions. Uh, great coaching performance and something where I think if you're going to find fault with last night, the fault is maybe the roster construction that puts you in the situation in the first place. Yes. More so than anything Bruce did. So if you're a fan who's out there saying, like, uh, it's Bruce's fault we lost, you're dumb. So <laughs> yes. that is actually something that I've talked about a lot this year because of the way I've described it, the way the, the roster is constructed, and the warts on the roster, the shortcomings of this roster, and I think – a lot of them were present last year and were covered up by Jabari and Walker mm-hmm. and then were not addressed 
fantastically uh, during the offseason. And also the thing of maybe not necessarily nailing the evaluations exactly like you thought you would. Tra- you know, Johan yep. Traor doesn't get in the game towards the end when you're yeah, down a bunch of guys. Like, when, that, like, that tell, like If you're not going to put him in there, he's not going to play the rest of the season. And that means that maybe it was a, an evaluation mistake to think he could come in in year one and play at such a high level. But I'll be honest, like he hasn't been playing the last month. And so even in that situation... He never crossed my mind. Watching the game, I was like, Treyor's just not even so, an option. Auburn has, right now, in the rotation, three true bigs. Yeah. Three of them. And all three either fouled out or got hurt. He didn't, Treyor didn't cross your mind? He hasn't been an option. He I has mean, not I mean, been when, an option. When Dylan Carwell goes out, when Jalen Williams fouls out, the toss guy on the court for Auburn is 6'5". I know, but obviously it was Bruce wasn't worried about it, and Bruce I, wasn't I, thinking I, about it either. I know. I just thought that it's back to the Tony Barbie days. <laughs> Tallest guy was six five on the roster, <laughs> you know, and you're going to get out rebounded, you know, by the, thirty. By thirty. The difference there is Tony Barbie, the tallest guy he could get. Yeah, is six in five. recruiting was six five. Yeah. It's some unranked six five guy who nobody's ever heard of, and he didn't do anything. But I think that with the warts on this roster. The coaching job by Bruce, and I don't think we fully appreciated, and yes, Yoan Treor is a just miss. I think that one's a miss. I really do think Chance Westry would have been something had the injury not happened and him been knocked out. I think that was extremely unfortunate. Uh, I think that ruined his freshman year. The future with him, who knows? I, I think he can still be a very good player. Having both of those go the way that they did... And then the lack of going and getting a shooter in the transfer portal, um, all of these things with the shortcomings of this roster, I think this coaching job by Bruce Pearl has been nothing short of amazing. I, I really think it's been an amazing coaching job this year. But he deserves all the criticism in the world for the fact that the roster did get to this point. And that is something that I have talked a lot about over the last month. Last night, great effort. Um, great fire, the way that they showed up. And something we talked about on the drive yesterday with Bill and I did was Auburn was desperate, yes. Auburn had pressure on them, yes. But think about how much pressure Alabama had on them. Oh, it was all on them, 100%. It was all on them. No, Especially after Saturday. Nobody expected a thing from Auburn in this Mm -hmm. game. A thing. And uh, and Alabama is playing at home. They're double-digit favorites. Uh, they are, it's senior night. It's a chance to seal the SEC regular season outright at home and cut down nets. Uh, you've got the microscope that they're under with the Brandon Miller situation with the fact that Nate Oates, every time he's in front of a microphone, he says the like exact wrong thing to say and makes it worse. All of that, the pressure was on Alabama. Mm-hmm. And so I was hopeful that Auburn would come out and play free and play aggressive and and show fight, and boy, did they. And they absolutely did. And again, there are so many situations that we have yet to cover with this game, but to look at the good side of this, if there is one when you lose to Alabama, is Auburn, like we've said, they they were counted out in every single outlet, every single radio station, news site, wherever you look, Twitter, wherever you were, Nobody picked Auburn to compete in this game. Nobody picked Auburn to win this game. And they had 
almost a 20-point lead in the second half. They take the best team in the country to overtime, and they lose by just five. And I think yesterday, sitting on this show, if we would, if somebody from the future would have came back and said, hey, Auburn's going to lose by five in overtime to t- in Tuscaloosa. Are you okay with that? You'd probably say, yeah, I think so. And with that, I mean, look, it is what it is at this point. We'll talk about it some more. Uh, we had a phone call we were going to take a break and get to. May have dropped us. Shane, I believe we had you. Uh, if you want to call back, we'd love to hear from you. We'll get to you on the other side. 334-321-1390. Talking all things Auburn basketball as they lose in Tuscaloosa last night. We'll talk some more about it when we come back on the other side. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio here at ESPN 1067, Auburn Open Like a Sports Leader. We're going to get to the phone lines, 334 321 Ed, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey there. How y'all doing today? Doing all right, Ed. Hope you're doing well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. Uh, uh, listen, uh, one thing I wanted to tell you I appreciate about you love about your show is you, you, you do, you honestly do let people call in and agree, disagree, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I wasn't able to call earlier to the show that comes on before you, but they started off by saying, do not even call in saying anything about the officials. Now, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to, I, I'm not blaming them, but I, did y'all see the the? Uh, have y'all watched? You know, just watch Bruce Pearl's press conference. Yes. You know, after. Yes. Yeah, it's press conference and his his post his game post-game interview, interview yeah. as well. I've yes. Seen it all. Yeah, yeah, the one where he 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 just kind of just sit there and just kind of. Uh, you know, he's beyond words. Yeah, he let his he let his thoughts be known, and I think he he had every right to do that. And. and I, Two things that you know that I noticed. Uh, yeah, I, I was unable to watch it, but uh, if y'all, if you could tell me, was Dylan Cardwell fouled at, at the end when he got hurt, or he sounded kind of upset about that? I, was that a hard foul or what? So I think I've I've watched the replay of that one. He's coming down, and uh-huh. as he's coming down, I one of the Alabama guards, maybe it was Quinterly. Like he yeah. slips his leg up underneath Dylan's, Dylan's like lower leg and foot, and that's yeah, but- and Dylan comes down on that like his heel comes down on, kind of like the bridge of his foot and yeah. and that's what hurt the ankle. Mm-hmm. I so think what, that, what, that with what, with what we know uh-huh. about like, um. You can't get under a guy. I think it certainly yeah. was a foul. I think there was enough contact there, but nothing was called. Um, and 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 I get that on a rebound like that, like I could see where a ref could miss that. But it's an extremely unfortunate thing, and it's going to to yeah. force Auburn to just one center right now yeah. on Saturday against yeah, Tennessee against because Tennessee. because Bruce yeah. said in his post game interview, Dylan's probably yeah. not going to play. He said Saturday. he's not playing. Yeah, and, and the other thing that, that, that he, he kind of paused after he said something about how many times that um, uh, Brandon Miller got fouled down the stretch, and you know, were they calling? Was they 
were they calling it really close on that? Was he just frustrated, or was it badly called game? I'm just asking. Both. He was he on. was frustrated because of the questionable officiating down the stretch. The the inconsistency, yeah. I think, is a really big factor here as well. Because look, they mm. they made some good calls and they missed they made some bad calls. And Bruce's yeah. frustration was the fact that his guys were getting banged up down there, down low, mm. time in and time out, and he felt they were not getting the same calls that Alabama was down the stretch, and I agree with him. Yeah, I mean, it, it really felt like every time for a little bit there in the final um, few minutes, every time Alabama had the ball, they're either going to mm. make a bucket or there's going to be a whistle, and there's going to be a foul called. Uh, especially yeah. with some of the stuff that was let that kind of went was let go by the refs. I yeah. didn't love the final foul call on Jalen Williams. Um, the final two foul calls on Janai Broom were absolute phantom calls, absolute yeah, phantom calls. Because one of them is just yeah. a normal box out, and he gets shoved in the back and gets called for the for the foul on the rebound. And the other one, he goes up to high point a ball and gets ripped yeah. to the ground by. Javon Quinterly. Which then, started the whole scuffle. And one, one mm-hmm. Quinterly, I'm pretty sure, stepped out of bounds and then pegs him with the basketball. Nothing happens there. The signal by the ref, he initially signals Alabama basketball. Hand up, ball out on Dylan Cardwell, Alabama basketball. And then in the process, I think it was really poorly communicated that he apparently was calling a foul or uh, out on Jani Broom. Mm-hmm. He apparently was calling a foul on Jani Broom, which was questionable at best. And Dil- and yeah. you saw Bruce after the game, his comments yeah. about Jani Broom, where he said, yeah. look, he gets fouled yeah. less than any center in this conference, and yet every single game he's in foul trouble. And basically he's yeah. pointing out the inconsistency there with Jani Broom. Yeah. I, think, I think Bruce is extremely frustrated with the way that Jani Broom's been officiated. Other guys on this team have been officiated this year, and I think it's starting to show. Yeah, well, uh, I remember, uh, I remember when Dale Brown was at LSU. He went through the same problem with Shaquille O'Neal. They because he, I mean, it's, it's a different little deal, but you know, they would call Shaquille for so many fouls just because he was so big. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if you hear that behind me. That's my little pup. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate y'all informing me on that. Uh, you know, War Eagle, I hope I hope they make the tournament. But, hey, they, they played well, and, I, you know, I'm still behind them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, War Eagle, guys. Yeah, appreciate the call, Ed. It's good to hear from you. Uh, that's Ed joining us here on the phone lines. And, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to let people call in and, and give your thoughts. I mean, we tell you like it is, and we want you to tell us like you think it is as well. 334-321-1390. And... Yeah, there, there's so much, and we'll get into more of it as we go, but uh, I just think you have to give credit where it's due for the effort and the coaching last night that Auburn showed, again, in a game where they could have gotten beat by 30. We thought they were going to get beat by 20 or 30 points, and now what brings this up now is uh, Lindsey Saturday against Tennessee now becomes a win and you're in and a lose, and you may be out. And I think that is a very, very tough situation to be in. And we'll talk more about that, but we have another call, 334-321-1390. Shane. Oh, it's Shane. Yeah, Shane's back on the line. Hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Doing all right, man. What you got? I don't know. I'm just a little frustrated. Is 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 So are uh, a lot of 
fans it seems to be right now with with the calls that we we don't get. Uh, I'm I don't I, I hope that nobody's wavering on Bruce Pearl because that person's an idiot. Um, but I'm behind Bruce Pearl no matter you know what this season turns out to be. It, it, it's hard it's hard to get every recruit that you need, and I think moving forward he's going to tweak things a little bit because he's a very loyal guy to his guys, you know. And I think that uh, don't we have a couple of big guys coming in? Oh, like this next this next recruiting cycle? Right, right now it's yes. just Aiden Holloway, the right. star point guard. The next class has has, has the guys you're thinking of. Footer Peyton okay. Marshall. All right, that's. And that is right now it in the 24 class. The 23 class, just Aiden Holloway is coming in right now. So any – are we doing uh, – So I'm not sure about the recruiting for basketball. When does that end? Is it already ended? Like or can we get some new some, – some more guys? Are there, are there any more guys out there that we could get that could help out fill up the, 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 the height disadvantage that we've got? So I think um, if you look at the high school ranks – most everybody signs in the early period, and the early period is a little bit different for basketball than it is for football. I do think it opens back up, if I'm recalling correctly, kind of after high school fin- or high school seasons are over in May. But I don't think there's a lot of options there. I think Auburn, if there's going to be a roster shakeup, you're going to see a lot of transfers Transfer. coming in with Aiden Holloway. I think that's probably the the path that makes the most sense, especially considering you've got two guards and a big man kind of waiting in the wings in 2024 to come in. You can't take a bunch of multi-year guys Mm -hmm. and have a log jam when you only have 13 scholarships. And Shane, according to the NCAA, the early signing period for basketball is November 9th through the 16th, and then the regular signing period is April 12th through May 17th. So yeah, you'll I knew, have about I knew it was April, mm-hmm. May. Yeah, so that. you'll have about a month right there, uh, in a little over a month from now for for them to go and get some guys. But like Carter said, a lot of the guys have already signed, and so uh, you're looking to get a couple of high schoolers and get some transfer portal guys as well. Uh, and so we don't really know transfer-wise until the season ends, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's no really way to know what our roster could look like next year. Um, but it, are there, so we've got, we've got our point guard of the future in the 2024 class. Is that correct? Well, you have, you have a, point a couple guard. of them. You have a point guard coming yeah. in at 23. You have a highly rated point guard. You have a highly rated point guard or two, I guess, that could play point. I think LeBaron Phelan the plan right now is for him to play the two as more of a combo guard, but you've got three highly rated guards coming in in the next two classes where I think all three have a capability to play the point guard position if called upon. You know, and I don't think that Bruce wants his roster to to be so small. I just think that he likes some of the guys, and he really – you really thought some of these others were going to pan out, and they yeah. just haven't. Yeah. And, and and you know, it's not we can't really put that on him because that's on the also on the person. Sometimes they just don't work out. We got it happens in football. Yep, but it happens. It is. It just happens. But I hate it for 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 Bruce because um, you know he's he's hardworking guy. I mean he mm-hmm. he and he loves his team, and um, so I just hope that everybody is is uh you know feeling the same way yep and i think he does 
I think yeah, he does. Go, yeah, appreciate the call, Shane. It's good to hear from you. Bruce Pearl understands. I promise you that. We'll talk more basketball later on, but we got some baseball to talk about as Lindsey Crosby is joining us in studio for all of our number one. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio for hour number one. Lindsey Crosby, host of the uh, Locked On MLB Prospects and also contributor for Auburn Daily. When it comes to Auburn baseball, who had a game last night as well, and uh, not as not as crazy down the stretch for that game, but it got a little dicey there for a minute as Auburn gets a midweek victory. Yeah, bringing in Florida A&M, a team that is uh, doesn't have a full scholarship component, which baseball is already weird on that, right? So going through a lot of, you knew it was going to be a weird game in the first inning when the pitcher gets their pitcher gets knocked out after giving up three separate three-run home runs without an out being recorded. And the guy they bring in to pitch is listed as a catcher who's never pitched in college. It's like, okay. Love it. This is going to be a weird game. <laughs> uh, but Auburn gets a huge lead, like 16-1. to And then in the sixth inning, the wheels kind of fall off. And uh, Florida A&M comes inside that 10-run threshold for a mercy rule, which this game drug on forever. This game was, I I legitimately think this was an over three-hour game when they played seven innings. And at one point, I'm sitting there thinking... I think you can probably find an actual answer to that. Yeah, you can. I just didn't have it off the top of my head and wasn't going (laughs) to make a big deal out of it. Thanks. (laughs) Appreciate that, Carter. Uh, and, uh, And it just ends up being a... like. It drags on forever. Auburn does win, though, and goes into this weekend now 6-1-1. One, and one. Uh, Answered a lot of questions. Two hours and 55 minutes, I found it. Uh, you, you know, beat me. Answered yep. a lot of questions, but also has some unknowns as you get in, into the weekend. You got two weekends before conference play. So God, already. 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 That's weekend, so crazy. Two, uh, you have this weekend against Lipscomb. You have next weekend... Um, against Southeastern Louisiana, who was mm-hmm. a, a regional team last year. They came to Auburn for game one. And then you have to travel to Arkansas. So, like, you jump into the meat grinder right away. And you talked about these non-conference games for Auburn, some of these weekend series that they may not look like anything crazy on the schedule, but they're, they're games and opponents that Auburn has to take seriously, especially this weekend and next weekend, like you said, before conference play starts. Yeah. Butch talked today to the media about like this might be the best pitching Auburn faces in the non-conference slate, and it's Lipscomb. Yeah, you know it's just something where where Auburn wants to make sure they have a good RPI, and then obviously they want to make sure that you you handle business because that's going to be the differentiator between a home regional and going on the road somewhere. And you can see what Auburn did last year, getting a regional at home, uh, being able to beat UCLA, being able to beat Southeastern Louisiana, and so. USC, the big thing there was make them get into their bullpen. They have a couple guys early, but not a lot of depth. Indiana, the big thing was stop the stop the offense from exploding. You did that until game three. This weekend is very much going to be, we need the pitching to stay constant. And the good thing about Auburn's, uh, or sorry, the, the hitting to stay constant. The, the mm-hmm. good thing about Auburn's offense right now, they have 60 runs on 64 hits in the last five games. But the bigger thing to me and and to Butch is they've struck out five or less times in four of those games. 
That's good. That's, That's the great. big thing. The Especially in modern baseball. <laughs> yes. The approaches are good. Everybody's uh, working within their game. Guys aren't getting too out ahead of themselves. And so the goal is keep this consistency going. Again, tough pitching staff this weekend. And then make sure that you can figure out as far as your rotation goes, who's going to go when you don't have Joseph Gonzalez again on the weekend. Yeah, and I was going to ask, you know, what has Auburn been doing well recently, but I would say those strikeout numbers are, uh, the batting side of it is really, really impressive. Like Carter said, in today's baseball as well, where swing and miss rate is extremely high, and, and it's super easy to to get in that slump as a, an individual, as a team as well. So the fact that Auburn is not striking out uh, a lot at all is huge. And what I'm noticing from this team as you watch them kind of from the press box and from the games and everything, is the guy that's on deck is doing a very good job of observing and watching what the opposing pitchers do well. And Butch has said in this modern college baseball, it's a race to two strikes. Like, that's what the game is now. You hmm. like the, the, the pitcher has to get to two strikes to have a chance to, to beat you. And so Auburn's hitters have been very good at seeing tendencies. I've seen a lot of first pitch swings or second pitch swings because they've noticed, hey, this guy likes to come in the zone on strike one because he's trying to establish the strike zone early, get ahead in the count. Or, you know, this guy likes to throw something off the plate to open a batter. Like They're noticing Mm -hmm. these things, and so it kind of shows – the baseball IQ that this roster has, they're very good offensively. And a lot of that's keyed by true freshman Ike Irish. He is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, if I remember right, Lee is in the top five in the SE, in all of college baseball in batting average. Has a hit in every single one of Auburn's games so far. At least one. I think all of them but one he has two hits. And he's a two-time SEC mm-hmm. freshman of the, of the week award winner. And we've had two weeks of SEC <laughs> yeah. of play. So Pretty great. no one's won that in 2023 but Ike Irish. Uh, and he's doing all of this as just the DH. They've worked on, obviously he is a catcher. They believe in him as a catcher. They've worked on him some at first base to try to get him ready and have flexibility. And they said, we just want him to focus on hitting mm-hmm. to, to start the season. And it looks like he's been able to focus on hitting. He's doing pretty well. I would say so. I mean, if he's hitting in every single game, getting multiple hits in almost every single game, what has led to the success so far? It's early on. Don't get me wrong. It's early on. But what are some of those trends and stuff that he's been doing that you've seen? So the the big thing is the, the patience. It feels this year more so than other years. This Auburn baseball team, these guys are really good at understanding this is a pitch that I technically can hit, but I can't drive this pitch. I can't do damage to this mm-hmm. pitch. And so it's a 1-1 count or it's a, you know, it's a it's a 1-0 count. I'm going to take this pitch because it's borderline. It might be a strike, but I can't do anything with it. And I'm going to wait for this next one and then I'm going to drive this in the gap and we're going to pick up two runs. So I've been very impressed with the pay. It feels more sustainable than last year. Last year was a lot of you know, Sonny DeShera would walk, Blake Rambush would slap one to their side and get on, and then you're trying to get a big hit to bring these guys in or get a home run and bring these guys in. This very much is, I've seen entire innings where Auburn put up crooked numbers. None, no balls left the park. Everything was, you know, line drives, base hits, things like that. And so it's a lot more sustainable approach. And I feel like when you get into the tougher pitching of the SEC, you're going to need that consistency and that 
higher floor approach to score the runs you need to win these games. So if you were looking to read more about Ike Irish, where would somebody find that, Lindsay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it turns out there was actually a fantastic piece this week uh, on D1Baseball.com. They had an okay piece, but I think the one at AuburnDaily.com was, in my opinion, even better. who's, Who's the author of said piece? Uh, the senior baseball writer for AuburnDaily.com, uh, that would be me. There you go. <laughs> there it and, is. Uh, there it is. It's funny because I did not know they were writing that piece. Obviously, we were in the same press conference, and so some of the quotes are the same in both of our pieces. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, we we did a big deep dive this week into Ike Irish, uh, kind of how he got here from Michigan, uh, what's looking, looking forward, what's coming up for him this season as far as picking up first base and catcher reps, and then the potential next year – once uh, you have him and he's catching all of these freshman pitchers that we have, these these guys are really high on a Zach Crotchville, a Hayden Murphy, uh, you know uh, what it looks like next year with all of these guys mm-hmm. throwing to Irish. It's uh, the future's bright for Auburn baseball. He also he, he also signed an NIL deal with Baumhauer's uh, just last week, and so he's being supported by some local businesses and things there like you go. that. There and you go. So that's uh, on the side as well. I do have a question. You were, you've been talking a lot about the approach of this team at the plate and. Mm-hmm. How it's looked so like it's looked so good so far through this point of the season. I do have, I guess, a question about Auburn's hitting approach under Gabe Gross as somebody mm-hmm. who's followed this these teams for the last few years. Is it because this is something that I felt early on in Gabe Gross's tenure at Auburn? Has there been some sort of adjustment from he was in? the major league game. He was in the big leagues for so long, and I feel like the um, the approach at the plate has shifted over the course of his time at Auburn. The early Gabe Gross teams, I thought there was a lot of moments where there was a lot of fly ball outs that it didn't feel like a lot of them uh, were great, well-timed when you just need to get somebody on base. I feel like this, as he's progressed as the hitting coach at Auburn, mm-hmm. I feel like... His approach with his team seems to have fit the college game a lot better. Is that safe to say? It is. And I think one of the big things that they've done is instilling in the players that it's a team sport, right? Mm -hmm. This is an individual matchup, you versus this pitcher. But it is a team sport. And the big thing that I've heard them say a lot is the players understand that the first two strikes are theirs. Once they get two strikes, it's the team's at bat. And a lot of these guys don't think of it that way. That was always the thing that you heard, you know, Sonny DeShera, you know, 1-0 count, he's swinging. He's looking for a home run. Nothing was wrong with that. He hit plenty of them last year. But it feels like as Gabe has gone on, it's been more of an understanding of if you get a pitch that you can drive early, take that swing if you want to. But this is the team's at bat. More yeah. so than this is the team, like then this pitch is the team's pitch, and less of guys trying to sell out for home runs at the expense mm-hmm. of everything else, except for apparently Justin Kirby, who has six hits and they're all home runs. Uh, and if he continues this pace, he could, you know, I don't know, finish with thirty hits and be SEC Player <laughs> of the Year with a batting average under two hundred. Like it's wild to me. I've never seen something eight games into a season. A guy have six hits and they're all home runs. Yeah, it's just the wildest stat line to me. So, so what happens first? You have Bryson Ware and Ike Iris drop below five hundred batting average, or Justin Kirby gets a hit that is not a home run. 
I'm going to think <laughs> I'm I'm going to say it's the Kirby non-home run because he's hit some pretty hard balls on the ground. He just hit him to the defense. Uh, I do the thing that the coaching staff has been very cognizant of, and they talked about this today, is Bryson Ware, Ike Irish are both hitting over 500, and they understand the coaching staff understands this isn't necessarily sustainable. And so it's been great. It's been it's driven the offense the first two weeks, but there's a lot of what they're working on offensively trying to get the rest of the team to where it needs to be for when those bats inevitably slow down. So it's uh, Nate LaRue. They want him to be more consistent at the plate. We talked about his new batting stance, and yeah. it hasn't necessarily had the statistical improvements they were expecting. Cooper McMurray, the transfer, the transfer first baseman from Kansas, tons of power, has a couple home runs now, but he's not impacting the ball as consistently as they'd like. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of been the focus of the coaching staff and of Gabe Gross is working with those guys to get them more consistent so that when where and Irish do eventually slow down, because they're not going to hit over 500 all season. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, when they do eventually slow down, the rest of the team can continue to to produce. These guys can pick up some of the slack. Something with, um, have you noticed with a guy like Cole Foster, what jumps off the page to me is he has 25 at-bats, but he has 10 walks already this year. He's getting on base at a really high clip. The batting average is 320, which is good. Yeah, Don't want to diminish that at all but getting 10 walks and getting that on base percentage above 520 what does that say about kind of his mindset at the plate it's it's going back to that thing on the approach is understanding the difference in a pitch that I can hit and a pitch that I can do damage Mm -hmm. on and so there's been plenty of times when Cole Foster has been in a 2-1 count and here's a pitch that's borderline I'm gonna take that it might be a ball I might end up walking I'm, you know, but I'm not going to swing because I don't think that I can actually put that into play and be a productive hit. And so Cole Foster's patience at the plate has been great. Ike Irish's patience at the plate. They told me he has the best batting eye of anybody on the team as a hmm. true freshman. Interesting. Uh, Nate LaRue hasn't had a ton of hits, but has done decently as far as getting on base. Also has two steals, which is kind of wild. He's a catcher. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you don't see that a ton. Like he's the one that, that's, that's tried to steal the most. Like him and Bryson Ware are the ones who have tried the most, which is just weird to me. Uh, but there, it's just, it's a great job of getting these guys to understand the difference between I can hit this and I can hit this well. And then something that Butch mentioned is this is the physically the strongest team they've ever had at Auburn. They had a great offseason of, of conditioning, working out. And so a lot of these hits that would have been, uh, you know, ground out to the shortstop or, you know, it's, it's a hot shot through the hole past them into the outfield. And so that doesn't hurt as well. Sounds like a lot of discipline on this team because you talk about, you know, the 2 1 count and. Okay, this could be a good pitch or it may not be. I'm going to lay off and wait for a better one. That takes extreme mental discipline and and experience to know and have that confidence in yourself and in your coaching staff and in your scouting report that you have that option because uh, you could see a lot of freshmen or maybe even on the high school levels where if you see a halfway decent pitch, you're up in the count, you got a hitter's count, you're want to swing the bat. But mm-hmm. sounds like Auburn has a lot of mental discipline at the plate. Yeah, and this goes back to to a few things. One is this is now the second year that they've worked with with Jason Selk, and he is their mental performance coach. And so it's a lot of work about visualization. It's a lot of work about about understanding the game better, understanding you and your strengths, but understanding the team concept. 
so it's the second year of doing that. And Bryson Ware has specifically mentioned his work with Jason Selk as one of the catalysts for him to turn around kind of his fortunes at Auburn because he spent two years as a, a backup outfielder and, and a defensive replacement because he couldn't be counted on at the mm-hmm. plate. And now he has second highest batting average on the team and, you know, top five in the SEC. Uh, it's that. And then it's also just the culture they've built. I noticed last night you the lead was so big, they literally mass substitutions. Every single position just about got somebody new in. Um, a lot of the freshmen came in and things like that. But a lot of the approaches were similar. They were still being incredibly patient. They were still waiting for a good pitch to do damage on. Some of that may be because Florida A&M was... Uh, the pitching wasn't that great, and wasn't mm-hmm. many balls in the zone to hit. But a lot of that was also just the the culture that this team has built. They're accountable to each other. They all understand how they like how they're going to have to do this together because there are no massive superstars on this team. And it's just it's another great job by Butch and company to build a fantastic roster, top to bottom. Talking all things Auburn baseball with Lindsey Crosby, host of the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast and senior baseball writer for Auburn Daily. We'll take our final break, come back, talk about the Lipscomb matchup this weekend, talk a little pitching as well. Had a lot of hitting conversation here. We'll talk some pitching, we'll talk Lipscomb, and wrap up hour number one when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up our number one here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. We're joined by Lindsey Crosby in studio and... Auburn baseball has Lipscomb this weekend. You talked about how uh, Butch has said this may be the best pitching they see in all of non-con play. What can you tell us about this matchup coming up at Plainsman Park this weekend? So big thing is going to be consistency from the offense and then figuring out what you do on the mound. Uh, You don't have Joseph Gonzalez. He's still dealing with that recurrence of the shoulder injury from spring. What's the status on that? So uh, he is supposed to pick up a baseball for the first time in two weeks tomorrow. Uh, with the goal of two weeks of bullpens so that he's available for week one of conference play versus Arkansas. So that is the plan as of now. He's not expected to be available this week. Correction, he's not available this weekend. He's not expected to be available next weekend as well. So um, what what you have this weekend, you have Tanner Bowman on Friday, Christian Herberholtz on Saturday, Zach Crotchfeld on Sunday. And what's wild is this time last year, none of these guys were on the roster. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you were planning out your rotation, these were not guys that you expected to have in your weekend rotation in January. Crotchfelt, they had hopes that by the time we got to conference play, he would be able to be a consistent starter. I don't quite think they thought he'd be on the on the weekend by then. But it's a it's a scenario where like depth always works itself out. Don't worry about having too many starting pitchers. You're gonna have to have multiple guys. The big story on this one for me is one how great Tanner Bowman's been. In the rotation, but then Chase Alsup going from opening day starter, starting two Friday nights to being the back half of that two-person piggyback starter piggyback system this week. Uh, when we talked to pitching coach Darren Schoenrock before the season, he talked about uh, uh, Alsup was very much an experiment. Mm-hmm. Right, we're trying to see if we can make him work as a starter because he's going to be a high pitch count guy. It's something where he's got good stuff. He attacks hitters. But he struggles to establish the zone. And like we said earlier in the, in the show, modern college baseball now is a race to two strikes. And he's not able to consistently do it as you get deeper into the outing. We saw 
week two, he made it through the first inning. He struggled in the second. We saw that in week one. It's something where he's going to, it looks like they're going to try him as a piggyback this week, but it looks like he may be better in the back end of the rotation where he can come out for an inning, just let that big arm eat, you know, 90, hit 97, 98, something like that versus um, working for three, four, five innings. Mm-hmm. Should be a fun weekend. Auburn has Lipscomb at Plainswood Park. We're about out of time. I want you to have plenty of, of opportunity to plug everything you've got going on. Lindsey Crosby uh, joined us the entire first hour. You do a lot, man, so I'm going to let you run with it because I don't know if I can keep up and get it all accurate. It is a lot. So I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. That's the hub for everything. You can see my Auburn baseball writing. It's auburndaily.com, but all the links come through Twitter there. Also, Locked on MLB Prospects, uh, number one daily minor league baseball podcast. Hey-o. We cover the, you know, the entire minor leagues, all 120 teams. That is available. It's on Twitter at Locked on Farm, but just go into YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, look for that. And the merch, AUShirts.com. Tons of stuff going on right now. There you go. Lindsey Crosby, we appreciate your time, brother. Always good to talk to you. We'll have you on soon and routinely through the baseball season. Hour number one is in the book. Stay tuned. We'll talk more Auburn basketball coming up in hour number two. on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Obelika Sports Leader. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Thursday, March 2nd, 2023. Hour number one is officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two is underway right here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of hour number one, go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it at ESPNAU.com. Click on the podcast center. You'll find a commercial free right there, right after the show, or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. But to start hour number two, uh, we've got a couple of phone calls we're going to get to in that first hour. Lindsey Crosby joined us of Locked On MLB Prospects and Auburn Daily. Uh, We talked Auburn basketball to start, and then we got into Auburn baseball which is uh, where Lindsay is a expert in the baseball world. And so uh, we talked a lot of things, Auburn baseball, as they pick up a midweek victory last night. They have Lipscomb coming up this weekend as they approach conference play in just a couple of weeks. So big thank you to him for joining us in the first hour. But here in hour number two, going to talk Auburn basketball. Got a couple of phone calls waiting. We're going to get to those. We also have Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. He'll join us at 3.30. So looking forward to that as well. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We'll start with Terry. You're on line one. Welcome in. Good afternoon, guys. How are y'all? Doing great, Good Terry. Right, Terry, how are you? I'm, I'm okay. Hey, guys. Um, Bruce Pearl's what, 61, 62 years old? Around there. I don't know okay. his exact age. He's, he's around there. I hope, he, I hope he's at Auburn for the 15 years. I hope he retires at Auburn. He's 62. But don't you guys think that he would have recognized the guard play or the lack of production in the, in the, in the tournament last year? Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately that may have been a little too late. Um, mm-hmm. But Bruce has loved 
those small guards, and, and I think well. there was a thought where maybe they would have grown, not height-wise, but grown as a player, right, and gotten a little bit better in the game of college, being the backups that they were and then coming into where they were are and where they are now. Um, but I just, I just think maybe – Maybe he thought they were going to get better, and they just haven't. And you also had Chance Wester, who was supposed to be one of your best guards, who had surgery and hasn't played at all. So um, I I think that has to play a role in this. But, uh, yeah, you you would like to think that that Bruce would have seen maybe some of the future struggles, but obviously obviously he didn't. Well, I just want people to see that as me being critical of Bruce Pearl because the guy's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. Oh, yeah, and, so. and and he he's the best fit for Auburn, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Right. Um, did Trailer play last night? Nope. No, he did not. Didn't touch the okay, floor. Another guy that, that, that I think they were kind of counting on, he hasn't developed at all. So I, that was kind of not kind of working. And I don't, and that. I don't think he was even considered last night, Terry. I don't think he, I don't think Bruce even looked his way on the bench. Okay, guys. Let me get to my, let me get to my basis of calling here. Okay. Did you guys ever think in your right mind that Wendell Green was going to pass the ball in that last possession in regulation? <laughs> no. Do I think he should I don't have? Think you thought about it. I mean, I think he should have because he I should have your, your best, probably pure shooter, is on the wing, wide open, and I would have loved to have given Jalen an opportunity to hit that shot. Uh, at the very end of 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 the of regulation to try to win it, because when it went to overtime, I said they're just accepting defeat because they're not going to win it in overtime. Unfortunately, Terry, in a situation like it was last night, when when one team plays so hard, has a lead like that, they let the other team come back and make it a game and send it to overtime. The mm. better home team is going to win that nine times out of ten. And and I said the right. same thing is is when Auburn Auburn needed to win that regulation because it was going to be tough to win it in overtime. And credit, they still had their chances. I uh, just couldn't make some shots down the stretch. Well, I'm not going to rant and rave about Wendell Green. Y'all know how I feel about him. I think there's plenty of proof out there now that I'm I'm pretty accurate. So, yeah, I mean, whether, look, whether his you, his you want to accept it or not. Yeah, his late game, his late game situations and handling of that is just it hasn't been good. It just has not been. It hasn't been good enough. I'll tell you that straight up. It has not been good enough. The two biggest issues I think Auburn basketball has is, is first their lack of size at guard is very very obvious. Mm-hmm. Second of all, they have got to quit going on these five-minute-plus streaks of not scoring. Yes, that's the you thing. That. You had seven straight minutes last night where Auburn didn't score. That, that, that's that's basically a quarter. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And so you can't, you just can't do that. Yeah, you you just you just can't. And that's uh, and mean, that's you can get away with that something, but you can't. And you that's can't not that. officiating, Terry. That's just Auburn's no, that's offense. That's just Auburn's offense being Auburn's offense with the guys that are on this team. They shot lights out last night, and you got to give them credit. They had the best shooting performance they've had. But you're absolutely right, Terry. You can't go six, seven minutes on the road without scoring and expect to win basketball games. But that, and along with the lack of size in the backcourt, is very obvious. Very, very obvious. And um, if they can beat Tennessee, which I don't really think Tennessee's all that good, but that that can get them in. But I think there'll be a quick exit if they get tournament at all. But honestly, Terry, I'm so. not I'm not sure I agree with that right now because if Auburn goes and plays like that against anybody in the tournament in the first round, they're capable of winning a couple games. Honestly, because you just played. I think the team that at its best is better than everybody. Their best is better than everybody else in the country. And 
for the second time, you gave them everything they wanted and then some in their place. When they had every reason to be ready to to celebrate, you're coming off a brutal blowout loss, and you play the toughest game Alabama has played in Coleman Coliseum all year. If Auburn plays like that Saturday, if Auburn plays like that Saturday, you win. If you play like that in the SEC tournament, you'll win a game or two. Uh, If you play like that in the NCAA tournament, I think you win a game or two. Um, I mean, and then from that point, it just depends on matchups. Yeah, and how bad does that blowout look? Blowout loss to Kentucky look now? They lost to Vanderbilt last night. They did. They did lose to Vanderbilt last night. That's a big win for Vanderbilt. It it really, really was for Vandy. It absolutely is. They're ten and seven in the conference now, right? Uh, ah, yeah, I think so, yeah. And they're fighting for a top four seed in the SEC tournament in the double bye. And they're going to win. They're going to win the the, um, the, the over Auburn, the, the tiebreaker. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Then they're going to have they split what a tiebreaker. Well, I guess they have a tiebreaker with. Don't they have a tiebreaker with Tennessee? No, they split with Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They split with Kentucky. They're probably going to lose out on tiebreakers to those two teams, but. I think who do they have left? I think they've got they've got a tough schedule. Down they've the got stretch, Mississippi State at home. Oh, Mississippi that's it? State at home, which is a that's it. I mean, that's a tournament team now. There. Yeah, but it is at home. That'll be a great Fair. game on Saturday, and and it's another great big man mas- matchup between Liam Robbins and Tolu Smith. And if Vanderbilt can win that, then you're putting a lot of pressure on Kentucky to go to Arkansas and win, and you're putting a lot mm. of pressure on. Tennessee to go to Auburn and win and then not not to mention Missouri who handled business against LSU and will handle business against Ole Miss um Missouri I think has the best chance to secure that fourth that fourth double bot I really do interesting it, it's gonna be very interesting it's with what's going on, because I, I just look, I need me to go in here and rant and rave about the selfishness on this basketball team. I think that's obvious. I'm not going to get into that. I think y'all know it. I think the obvious is there. I think it was obvious. Anybody watching the game last night, the last 30 seconds or so, I don't really remember 21 seconds. I guess it was, but it's obvious who the selfish and ego egomaniacs on this team are, uh, and it's not going to get any better. And and he and he's a five nine guy, and uh, and until they get some size of guard, it's going to be a, a problem. And if 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 Coach Pearl, who is look, I reiterate again, I hope he's all another fifteen years. I hope he retires wearing the orange and blue. But if he can't see it, I mean, he know, he's forgotten more basketball than most people know. Yeah, and and it's, it should be very obvious to him that last night, Katie Johnson, where was he on the last? He was the hottest shooter in the world last night. Yeah, yeah. he was four or five from three, and honestly, I don't think he's had a game like that in his entire career. Terry, uh, we here's 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 a question for you. He scored twenty one points last last night. How? When is the last time he scored twenty-one points or more in a game? That's that's a tough one. I couldn't tell you. I bet I it was at Georgia years ago, January eighth, twenty twenty-two, against Florida at home. Hmm, he scored twenty-three. So it's been over a year since he scored twenty-one. Well, over a year. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Well, they got the lack of size and the selfishness, uh, the egos. Coach Pearl can't do anything about that, but he's kept these guys around. And wasn't the guy West Virginia that led us up? Wasn't he a guy from South Carolina that was headed to Auburn? Or was going to cut? Was it between Auburn and West Virginia? Uh, which which one? I'm sorry. The guard that led us led us up for 30 points at West Virginia. Oh, oh, um, he was. He I think he had Auburn in his list. I, I'm pretty sure he did. Well, he. I wish he came. 
and 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 they got to make some changes. And people say, well, if we're there will be Green, there will be changes. I promise well, you that he'd be a better team. Well, he he won some games for us. Well, he's also lost some games for us, guys. Take care. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate the call, it. Terry. It's good to hear from you. 334-321-139. Stevenson. That's it. Eric Stevenson. Stevenson. I Thanks knew it was to, Eric. Yeah. I was, Stevenson. I was going with Sorensen, which is maybe a little too sweet or something. <laughs> uh, Stevenson from West uh, Virginia. But so uh, I don't think I realized this until I just looked it up. You have Missouri with tiebreakers against Kentucky and Tennessee. Wow. So if one of them loses and Missouri and, slides and Missouri up. Uh, beats Ole Miss at home, which they should. What a what a Missouri gets wow. the double bye. What a what a great uh, opponent and opportunity for Missouri to get a top four bye, playing they, Ole Miss is, at the end. All they need is a Kentucky loss at Arkansas or a Tennessee loss at Auburn. Wow, and a win, and a win. Yeah, that's crazy. Good for them. I, they have a really good chance to do it. Let's get back to the phone lines three three four three two one thirteen ninety. And uh, this guy's been holding off for a few minutes. Hello, Jack. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, buddy. How <laughs> are you? Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How uh, are you? Talking basketball, Jack. I know you got. A, I know you got some thoughts. We I were guess, talking about it last I guess night. We will but never know how Jack is doing. He said he was doing good. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I meant to say I was doing good, buddy. There you go. Um, well, well, Jack, your your thoughts. Auburn loses by five in overtime to Alabama and Tuscaloosa last night. Yeah, I just wanted to, to call in and kind of give some some commentary on that and. As well as just the general vibe that I've got from fans today, there's there seem to be two different factions of fans, and, and they're kind of this is kind of a trend over the past few years. But it seems like there is there's one side that that is all about oh it was all the refs last night that was the that was the refs jump, and then there's another side that says well you can't blame the refs for everything, and so that was clearly on Auburn, and, and it was all. You know, I mean, this was Bruce Pearl's problem. He didn't coach it properly. He didn't do this. And my, my, I guess my general thoughts on it is, can we not have both yes. things be true at say the same that. time? Because I think that one of the things that bring, that somebody bring, brought up today is, you know, well, you can't expect to win if you give up 17 points, so you can't blame the ref. And my argument to that is questionable officiating calls there late led to a lot of that 17 to nothing run that Auburn or that Alabama went on. You know, I mean, if you don't have Jani Broom with two phantom calls there close to the end of the yep. game, or, well, to be frank with you, not very close to the end of the game, um, if you don't have those two phantom calls, I think you pick up another point there down the stretch and you probably win the game. Yeah, and I mean, Jani found that with, Jaylen, what, 10 minutes left? This one was just awful. I mean, the, the, the call on Jalen Williams late, was terrible. Yeah, it was. He's going to the rim with, I think it was Kennerly who had him, and he doesn't even touch him from behind, and Quinterly falls down. And That's all that happened. That's it. Looking at it. Quinterly fell, Quinterly and he got called. really good at um, exaggerating contact that may or may not have been there. There was there was a cheap one early that they called mm-hmm. on foul or well, look, on on Allen. They well, called look, a foul on Allen. Quinterly <laughs> is Quinterly is a good guard, man. And Jimmy Dykes talked about he it last night. At he, this time of year, when the month turns to March, there are certain guys that flip it on and know how to win. And Quinterly did that last night for Alabama. Give him all the credit in the world. And he's going to come back sure. next year too. Yeah, he's going to come back next year for his sixth year. Well, I certainly think that he's he's a great guard, and it's a great team that Auburn went up. I mean, I said it last night to you guys. We were just kind of talking back and forth. That's the best team in the country that Auburn played last night. Alabama is a really good team. 
they got guards for days. They've got forwards that really buy into what they're doing on the offensive and defensive end, really. Uh, but if you're if you're looking at the Auburn performance that they had last night, I think that's every bit good enough to beat Alabama because I don't think that they were the beneficiary of a lot of calls there late. And yet again, they were right in it. I mean, they had done enough to separate themselves earlier in the game. Sure, Alabama goes on the run, but I think you had a couple of, of things that if you're Auburn, you're pretty upset about this morning. And I think that Bruce Pearl had every right to do what he did last night on, on the interview broadcast. Having said all that, you know, it is another game that you you have a big lead and you lose it in, Carter. You and I have talked about it on after the game this year, but this is yet another instance of Auburn goes up and you start getting a little lackadaisical. You start letting things go by. You start kind of losing interest and thinking, okay, we got this one wrapped up. I don't know if that was the thought process last night, but it's another example of that. I think it was... I think it was Auburn who came out and played a very inspired game last night. They got up by as much as, what, 18, 17, 18 in that second half. And I think it was just Alabama being a really, really good team, being borderline the best team in college basketball who made a run. And I think that there is an argument to be made that if Jani Broom doesn't foul out, is he a point difference? Probably. But I, I am not in the belief, and we had this conversation last night, I'm not in the belief that if Jani Broom is in, that he single-handedly stops that run for Alabama and single-handedly wins that game for Auburn and prevents that comeback. Now, all the officiating stuff, yes, Auburn got robbed last night. They did. They got robbed on no calls. They got robbed on bad calls. And Bruce Pearl, I'm in agreement with you, Jack, Bruce Pearl had every right to show his frustration because he normally doesn't. He normally lets he lets the officiating things go. He doesn't go out and blast the official the officials in an, in an interview like that. He normally doesn't do that, but he did last night, and you could tell he was clearly frustrated. But here's the things that I look at that Auburn could have done better and still would have won the basketball game in regulation. You have Wendell Green Jr., who goes for just nine points. Again, 2 of 10 from the field, so he shot double digits again, and he shot 20%. That's not good enough. You have Zeb Jasper, who played only nine minutes and didn't record a single stat. He, he literally had one assist. Sorry, he had one assist, so he was running for fun again. And you have a guy, and you have guys get fouled out again. Officiating wasn't great, but your free throw numbers is where I look. I look at the free throw numbers for Auburn as a team, and you compare those to Alabama. Alabama shot seven more free throws than Auburn. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not super mad about that. You're on the road, late game in the SEC. Alabama will probably shoot more free throws, but they made nine more than you did. You made, they made 24 free throws. Auburn went just 15 of 24. Yeah. Make one more free throw. One. Make one free throw. And you win that basketball game. So, I have a question. I don't know if y'all wondered this as well. In that stretch in time where Alabama came back, they had that 16-0 run, a lot of it was Javon Quinterly getting by guys, getting to the rack, and creating opportunities for his teammates, that type of of situation. It was that uh, for the 16-0 run. It was that late. Where was Zeb Jasper? I knew that's where you were going. He played nine minutes. I don't think he played in the second half. And I think where it, was Zeb Jasper? It had to have been just Bruce playing KD because of the the offense, right? He played five minutes in the second half, and 
I don't recall seeing him for the last 12 minutes of the well, game. Well, a lot of his minutes went to Trey Donaldson, who had a great night last night. Yeah, I I get it, but in a moment where I you're, agree. you're unraveling on offense and Quinterly's getting to the rack and creating all these opportunities, we've talked about Zepp Jasper as the best on-ball defender of this Auburn team. Why not have him on the court to have a veteran guy out there to see if you can get Auburn to calm down on the offensive end a little bit, but also to have somebody who can make life a little more difficult on Quinterly? I, 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 this is just a question because I, I was puzzled why he only played nine minutes in the game. I know he's not an offensive threat. I know he's not. But at a certain point, when a team's going on a run like that, you would think that having a vet, a 60-year guy, a 25-year-old on the court might help calm the group. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I feel. Jack, we got to get to a break. You want to hold on or are you done? Uh, I'll go hold on for a few more minutes after the break. Okay, sounds good. We'll take a break and we'll continue talking. We got Jack on the line. If you want to call in, uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. 334 321 1390. Got a couple of more minutes talking Auburn basketball before we get to Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, coming up at 3 30. We'll be right back here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Back inside the studio at ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. We're joined by Jack Hutton on the phone. Uh, Jack, also, just a side note, sorry about the uh, Auburn High School softball game being canceled, man. Yeah, no softball tonight. They do pick up a win last night, uh, 11-0 over Beauregard. They moved to 6-0-1 on the season, so playing some good ball or Matt Hendricks and the Lady Tigers over at Auburn Softball Complex. Yeah, I got, uh, got canceled with all the rain we had come through in the early afternoon. So uh, no Auburn High softball tonight. But talking Auburn basketball and, again, the, the heartbreaking loss at Alabama last night where after the game you saw uh, Nate Oates and the players climb the ladder and cut down the nets and win the outright SEC regular season title. And, Jack, just your opinion on and your, your thought on – the, uh, you know, I've seen the narrative of maybe this is the true shift of the state where Alabama has now won that SEC regular season title uh, over Auburn and, and, of course, beating Auburn to do it. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I still think Auburn has been right there. I mean, people on social media and stuff saying Nate owns, owns, or excuse me, Nate Oates owns Bruce Pearl. I don't think that's accurate at all. I mean, I Alabama 5-3 and three against year. Bruce Pearl in, in Nate Oates' time, and, you know, Auburn's one point away from that being a tied series last night. So, you know, I, I don't I don't really buy into that. Don't really agree with that. I think Alabama and Auburn are both recruiting at high levels, um, and I think it'll be a rivalry moving forward more than anything. Um, you know, in, in regards to specifics on last night, uh, you know, I am, I'm of the opinion that hey, I think two things sunk Auburn. I think um, one was the mentality that they took up 17 there late. Um, I, I thought they went to much more of a defensive run out the clock rather than continuing to kind of keep the foot on the gas as they had been all game. Um, but I also think that it was, a, it was aided by some of the officiating late. Um, and I know that that's something that a lot of Auburn fans are kind of getting tired of hearing, but you know, there's there are some numbers that back that up. I mean, on the uh, Ken Palm index, I think Auburn went down to 240th in a ranking called Luck, which is essentially how well you play 
versus how many wins and, and how efficient you are from the field and things like that. Um, and that, that kind of takes into account, you know, what kind of calls you get at the line, what kind of, uh, well, not at the line, but just on the floor, what kind of things go on that, that are kind of out of your control almost. Um, so Auburn's one of the worst teams in the country in that regard. Another one is the statistic that you heard from, from uh, Coach Pearl last night on Jani Broom. He's one of, I think he's the least fouled man in the, in the SEC um, in regards to centers inside per two-point shot. So mm-hmm. every time he takes a two-point shot, you know, if you divide that by the number of free throw attempts he has, it's like the, I think, well, it's the highest in the league because he's got more two-point shots than, than free throws he makes. So all that to say, I mean, I think both things are true about last night. I, I don't understand um, necessarily some of the, the calls there late. But um, if you're Auburn, I think turning the page to Tennessee, I do think what this does is it shows you, you really, I mean, you can play with the best team in the nation. You can do this. You're just as talented. Uh, you just got to finish a ball game. And going into this game against Tennessee, this is a big one Saturday. I mean, this kind of, this is kind of your narrative defining game for this season. If Auburn wins it, they get to 10 wins in the SEC, 20 overall, and you probably lock yourself up into the NCAA tournament. You lose it, then you're thinking, okay, well, you may need to go win one or two in uh, Nashville to just get into the tournament. And uh, then you're kind of struggling into the offseason. And so I think it's an important game for Auburn. Um, not as impressed with Tennessee as I think a lot of the rest of the country is. And mm-hmm. so. You know, I think Auburn is is certainly in good position to to win that one on Saturday if they come out and play the way they did last night. I, I think this Auburn team continues to show a lot of heart, um, getting beat by I think it's 21 total points in like seven losses this season against SEC squads. I mean, that's just that's absurd how much Auburn has been in the thick of these games and just can't quite pull one out. Jack, it's good to hear from you, man. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, again, sorry, no, there's uh, there's no softball tonight, but uh, we will see you in studio tomorrow, huh? All right, guys, sounds good. All right, Jack, that is uh, Jack Hutton who called in. Of course, he joins us on Fridays here in the studio, uh, calling in, giving his thoughts on Auburn basketball, and he's exactly right. I mean, this this puts Auburn in a situation on Saturday where if you win, you're in, and if you lose, you may be out of the NCAA tournament because. You do not want to be, and we talked about this months ago, you do not want to be in the situation where you're going to the SEC tournament needing wins to get to the NCAA tournament. Just ask Texas A&M last year. It's not a spot you want to be in because it's not a guarantee. It's just not. And the problem is, for me, Carter, it's something that uh, you had said a little bit ago. I think Lindsey may have still been here. Um, Talking about, well... Anyway, you had said that if Auburn plays the way they did last night on Saturday and in the SEC tournament and in the NCAA tournament, they're going to pick up some wins. And that's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. But here's the problem. We have not seen Auburn carry a performance like that from game to game. When they destroyed Missouri, we said that and you're like, wow, we feel really good going on the road to Vanderbilt. And they lost. Then... We just haven't seen it carry from game to game, and that's what worries me. Yeah, I I do wonder if now Auburn is in like a backed in the corner wounded animal mode, where like they have they know they have to perform like that game in game out. For I mean, it is every game from here on out is must win. Like you're playing in the tournament now, like you have to win each game uh, going forward. Stat I just stumbled across on accident. 
Auburn's dead last in free throw rate against them. They have the most free throws shot against them of any team in the SEC. Man, I'd believe it, though. And they're 10th in their own free throw rate. Wow. I'd believe it. Officiating has not been kind to Auburn, and it showed last night in Tuscaloosa. Hey, we got Chris Gordy, of the host of the Locked On SEC podcast, joining us when we come back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Welcoming in Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast. He joins us every Thursday here on the show. Chris, it's a busy, busy time with basketball getting into postseason play, baseball getting started up around the conference. You have spring practice going on here in Auburn. Man, I know you're busy. Yeah, it's a, it's a busy time of year, Jacob. And, um, you know, again, with all the – you know, game's kind of coming to a close this Sunday. Uh, we're going to find out who's in and, and who's out. And, um, man, unfortunately for Auburn, it looks like they're one of those teams that's really just teetering right now. Yeah, well, that's where we'll begin. Auburn on the road last night in Alabama. They lose by five in overtime. The Crimson Tide cut down the nets. They win the outright SEC regular season title. What have you seen from Alabama that makes them so good? And what did you see last night where Auburn came up five points short? Well, it, to me, it was unfortunate because, you know, what, what have I grabbed about with Auburn all year? It's been the, the inconsistent three-point shooting. And, you know, last night I thought it might have been their, one of their better games in, in, in terms of a, a three-point shooting all year. So um, it was unfortunate they couldn't close it out. Again, tough, hostile environment there at, at Alabama. That fan base has uh, gotten behind that team. And, you know, the, the incident with Brandon Miller has kind of rallied them even more to, to galvanize uh, – you know, the fan base, and, um, you know, it was just unfortunate. It was one, uh, I know Bruce Pearl was very frustrated after the game, and, uh, you know, his frustrations got out there on uh, the, the post-game radio interview and all that, but, um, yeah, I just, I thought that was one that, that Auburn should have gotten because, again, uh, going to, to with, with Tennessee this weekend, I don't know if, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if they can win that one. Right now, you're 3-8, and eight, you're last 11. You lose that one, you'll be three and nine, and then if you're one and done in the tournament, I still stand by. I don't, I don't know if Auburn gets in the tournament if that if it plays out that way. So when you look at this Auburn team, I mean the way that they've kind of been up and down all year. In your mind, just eye test, do you feel Auburn is an NCAA tournament team? God, it's it's tough. I mean, look, they've, they've got the talent. Um, but, I, no, I mean, if we're just going to go based on eye tests and what we've seen from this team the past few weeks, I would say no. I would, I would, I would counter that with what have they done to earn it, you know what I mean, in terms of, um, you know, resume wins. You know, what's their, what's their best win in recent weeks? Um, you know, every good team that they've faced, uh, you know, even ones that they've played tough, like last night, you, you came out on the wrong end. And so I think at the end of the day, you've got to have – You've got to resume wins um, on top of playing well at the right time, and they, they haven't done any of that in recent weeks. And Chris, given, you mentioned it already, but given the situation around Brandon Miller and this Alabama team, obviously he is still playing. He's still making a big impact on the floor for them. They've now won the SEC regular season title. 
What is your takeaway on how Alabama handled that entire situation and the fact that he's still playing on an SEC championship squad? Yeah, it's it's a joke. Um, you know, I think we, you know I don't remember if I talked with you guys about this last week, but you know Nate Oates was already kind of a jerk. You know, in terms of you know his personality, what we've seen out of him the the last year plus at Alabama, and how he's dealt with uh, situations and other teams and all that. But like, I don't know. I just I, I felt like this was a situation they should have gotten ahead of. They should have. You know, even in January, once they knew Brandon Miller was somehow involved in this, suspend so him two games. I mean, I think that would have sent a message of, hey, he wasn't that involved, but whatever involvement he had, we're just going to send a message, hey, man, uh, you know, dumb decision to be out there and handing a gun off to somebody, whatever, we're just going to send a message. And ultimately, you know, when you deal with these one-and-done players – I don't know if, you know, they looked at it and go, oh, well, we can't do that. Do that, You know, like they treat these guys so differently on top of the winning. And, you know, that's just the culture we've come to know is when your team is riding high and clicking on all cylinders, you're going to make excuses. You're going to say, you know, look the other way when they do something bad um, if it's easy to, to look the other way. And that's what Alabama's done here. And I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and not even, you know, like – just the way they've been so nonchalant with it about, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, no big deal. Oh, well, he's done nothing wrong. And then, like, they know it's his first quote where it was like, we can't control what these kids do outside of practice. I was just, I was appalled when I heard that. And I was like, well, what if, what if he had been accused of raping somebody? Would that have been his line? Oh, well, we can't control what these kids do outside of practice. Like, come on. And I know that's an extreme case, but like, it's time for Nate Oates and the athletic department in Alabama to wake up and have some kind of, uh, you know, look in the mirror and say, hey, are we doing everything the right way right now? And they're, they're the number one villain. I mean, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. They're probably going to be a one seed. You know, I saw one scenario that where they may drop to a two seed. But I, I love that the SEC denied Brandon Miller naming him SEC Player of the Week this past week because it's not right. It, you know, you, you got to there, – there's some things in life you got to take a little bit more serious, and, and some things are bigger than sports at times. And Georgia's seeing that yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. And again, I just, they're going to be villain number one. When they make the tournament, everyone in the country will be rooting against Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, I mean, kind of in years past when we haven't had circumstances dictate who the villain is, we've always kind of turned to Coach K's Duke team. And now I feel like Alabama has taken that villain number one role. But uh, I mean, when you talk about his quote about not being able to control his guys off the court, well, I mean, we saw this past weekend with the pat-down intro. I guess he can't control him on the court, Chris, and I don't think Alabama's handled that correctly either. Yeah, and I just love, you know, the Alabama fans. He's done it all year. Okay, does that make it right? Does that, like, can we not take a step back and look at that and go, that's not a good look for a guy who, you know, brandished a murder weapon that we're doing a pat-down with him that maybe somewhere somebody would go, eh, you know, it's not – not the greatest look. And again, NATO with the great, uh, you know, in the moment uh, quote. Oh, I, I don't even pay attention to pregame stuff. I, I'm busy drawing up plays. Really, you're drawing up plays while they're announcing the players' names. Like it's just, it's just so head in the sand. You know, uh, reactive and not proactive. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's been frustrating to watch. And again, it's, it just, it, it reeks of old school. Uh, win at all costs you know, football mentality where 
hey, the football player is accused of something, but we're undefeated, so let's give him a pass because uh, we're winning, and winning solves all. So that's what it feels like. And, again, it, 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 it's a damn shame because it feels like Brandon Miller, outside of this incident, has been a pretty good role model. I yeah. mean, he's been a pretty good student. He's, he's out there scoring uh, at, at a rate that, that should be celebrated as one of the better players in recent history in the SEC, and yet he's got this on his resume that's, that's going to kind of tarnish this and, and the season for Alabama. Talking with Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Chris, as we look toward this weekend, the final regular season day of SEC basketball, then the SEC tournament next week, given everything, is Alabama still the favorite to win that SEC tournament, or are there a couple of teams that you think can make some noise in Nashville? Yeah, I think Tennessee's got got a chance. Um, you know, I, I like how they've played at least the past couple of weeks. They've had a couple of hiccups here and there, but for the most part, they've played very well. Um, there was a couple of teams that, like, I thought Kentucky gets everything figured out, and then they go lay the egg against Vanderbilt last night. Uh, Vanderbilt's one of those teams that, man, they've got they've got some bad losses on the year, but they've got some sneaky good wins too. And that's that's the type of team that you know, you get in one of these tournament scenarios and, you know, maybe they could run off a couple of wins. Same thing with Texas A&M. Um, you know, I know they've kind of been that under-the-radar, sneaky, good team, one of the best teams of the SEC, and I don't think anybody saw that be- coming before the season. So, yeah, I-, I would say, like, if Alabama does not win the SEC tournament next week, I would say, you know, my first pick would be Tennessee, but I'd say keep an eye on, on a, you know, on A&M and then Vandy kind of like a dark horse team that could get hot at the right time and, and hey i mean maybe auburn if auburn wants to shoot 60 percent from three <laughs> the SEC tournament, they'll have a chance chris when you uh i guess another sport that's gotten up and running here they're in the middle of non-conference play uh baseball's gotten rolling what have you seen out of the sec so far we've got some pretty good teams and we've got some teams that maybe have been a little bit slower out of the gate what are your uh first thoughts on the first two weeks of this college baseball season yeah, I haven't been able to pay as close attention as I want because I, I spent all last week down at uh, spring training with the Astros and now uh, uh, been focused on the, the NFL draft and, and combine stuff this week. But um, I, I have watched LSU a bunch. They uh, they got a nice win the other night in Austin against uh, the Longhorns. That's a tough, hostile environment to go into. It was nothing-nothing uh, into the ninth inning, and LSU hit a three-run homer in the top of the ninth to, to get the lead. They got out with the win. Uh, so LSU looks very much like the number one team. They did lose to Iowa in that uh, non-conference schedule or uh, uh, tournament last weekend, but then bounced back and beat the snot out of Sam Houston State. Uh, South Carolina looks like they're a little bit more power team than we thought. Um, I know a couple days ago they were leading leading the conference in in most home runs, so that that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. But yeah, outside of that, I mean, you know, Tennessee is going to be right there. I know they had the whole weird thing with Vitello serving the suspension and. Uh, the transfer kid from Kansas uh, was deemed eligible, and so it seems like they're going to get a little bit more pop in the lineup uh, with that and him. Um, and then, you know, just a lot of the other teams that, that are, you know, middle of the pack to the top that, that can be dangerous, like, like an A&M. Um, we'll see what Auburn is once we get to conference play. But, uh, you know, it was funny. I was talking with somebody who doesn't really follow college baseball, and they were looking at the rankings, and they're like, God, like is, is the entire SEC in the top 25, and I was like, yeah, basically softball and baseball. Mm-hmm. It's like every year uh, the SEC just dominates, uh, and it's you know not just the top 10, but the entire top 25. And it's only going to get tougher when uh, Texas and Oklahoma come over, huh? 
Yeah, no doubt. And especially, especially in softball, but, but baseball too. And, and that's, it's going to make it fun. I mean, we're going to have, you know, there won't be any of those conference uh, weekends that you'll be able to glance over anymore. I mean, it's, it is literally going to be every weekend a dogfight once, once they get in the conference too. And Chris, you talked about covering the NFL Combine coming up that is happening this week and the NFL Draft coming up next month. Uh, Auburn had six guys that are invited to the Combine, but who, who needs a big week in the SEC at the Combine and how much can you dive into the results and the measurements that come out of the NFL Combine? Yeah, I was a little disappointed. Bryce Young, um, you know, is not throwing at the Combine. I thought he, you know, people questioning his height and everything. He says he's going to save him for the pro day. But for the guy who kind of most people had as the consensus number one quarterback, for him not to throw, this really opens the door for C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, and then the two other SEC guys, Will Levis at Kentucky and Anthony Richardson at Florida. I've seen two mock drafts this week, guys. One has Will Levis going number one overall, and one has Anthony Richardson going number one overall. And I... I think it's a reach on both, but look, if they both perform well at the combine and impress, uh, I, you know, look, you can't argue with it. The teams are very high on them and uh, going to be pretty crazy if, if, you know, three of the top four quarterbacks in this draft are from the SEC and they all go in the top ten. So when you, when you talk about both of those guys, like, of these SEC quarterbacks, which one to you has the highest ceiling and uh, which one is the greatest risk? I still feel like Bryce Young is the best talent. I mean, I, everybody I've talked to, I was, I was at the Senior Bowl a couple weeks ago. I talked to Chris Doring. Chris Doring's like, yeah, Bryce Young is hands down the best quarterback in this draft. I don't, I don't care how tall he is. I don't care if he's 5, 10, and 3 quarters. Like, it doesn't matter. Film doesn't lie. Watch what the guy did throughout his, throughout his college career. And it's so silly because people, people like to get in this mentality of, oh, yeah, but that's – that was college football. The NFL is different. Okay, yes, I get it. The NFL is different. You know, facing the boats and all that. But the SEC is not chopped liver when it comes to pass rush. It's not like Bryce Young was playing the Citadel every week and, <laughs> and not facing and not facing pressure. Like you know, he he was so and he took hits. So um, you know, I, I think Bryce Young is still by far the one that scares me. Like, I think Will Levis is going to be good, and just for the simple fact of two years ago, he looked very good at Kentucky. He gave them competency at the quarterback spot. Liam Cohen was the OC there. He had a good old line, good run game, and he performed well. This past year, uh, Rich Gangarello was their OC, wasn't as good as Liam Cohen. The offensive line was terrible. He was missing Chris Rodriguez the first few weeks of the season, and he got hurt. And after he got hurt and came back from injury, they said, okay, we're not going to run you as much because we don't want you to get knocked out and, uh, and then we'll really be behind the eight ball. But the running is a component of Will Levis's game that he wasn't able to use this year because of that injury. So I think Will Levis has a chance. You know, there's a lot of promise there. Anthony Richardson is a freak athlete, but, man, 53% completion percentage last year. Like, you know, I always argue with people, can you teach accuracy? Can you teach a guy to go from 50% to, to you know, 58% completion percentage? We saw Jalen Hurts do it recently, but, you know, outside of him, are there other guys? I just worry about Richardson. Like, one of the mock drafts has him going to the Seahawks where they have Geno Smith, and, like, that would be a perfect scenario. Let Geno Smith start, let Richardson sit for a year and learn, and then eventually be the guy. But I just, like, you know, possible bust. Richardson just feels like that guy because it feels like, man, he really could have used another year sticking around in Florida, 
uh, learning in that Billy Napier system and, and improving. But hey, when they're when they're telling you the scouts are telling you you're projected to go top ten, I get it. You got to go out. You got to go try try your hand. Yeah, you got to go, right? I mean, if they're if they're giving you the information to go, you got to go and take your shot. So we'll see what happens with a lot of big name SEC quarterbacks who are uh, getting some measurements in the combine this week and looking to get drafted in the NFL draft. Chris Gordy, host of the Locked On SEC podcast, he joins us every Thursday here at three thirty. Man, we appreciate you and your time every single week. Tell everybody where they can keep up with you and all your great work and what's coming up on Locked On SEC. Yeah, just search uh, Locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast and on uh, on YouTube. We got a great uh, had a great episode this week with our buddy John Garcia Jr., our recruiting expert. Uh, went around the SEC talking recruiting with him about some recent commitments and very glowingly on uh, on Walker White. So if you're an Auburn fan, you definitely want to go check that out. Locked on SEC. Man, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right. All right, thanks, guys. That is Chris Gordy. Again, he joins us every Thursday at 3.30 here on On the Line. He does the Locked On SEC podcast. And uh, as he mentioned, he has a a recruiting episode talking about Walker White, the big-time Auburn quarterback commit. So be sure to go and check that out. we got to get to our final break here. We'll come back, wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line, big thank you to Chris Gordy, again, host of the Locked on SEC podcast. He's been one of our longest guests here on the show uh, since I took over, and he always has uh, great things to say and had some very passionate words about the Alabama Brandon Miller situation. And look, Chris, he's one of those guys that he's going to tell you what he's thinking, and he'll tell you what is on his mind, and he sure enough did today, uh, telling us about his thoughts on on Alabama basketball and Brandon Miller still playing on the SEC championship squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was, I mean, it's certainly fascinating, and I do think that it's creating a situation where, the entire country is going to be um, rooting for whoever plays Alabama for the rest of the year, whether it be yeah. Saturday, whether it be SEC tournament, whether it be NCAA tournament. And the more they win, the uglier and louder I think it's going to get. Yeah, and who knows if Goodman at AL.com hasn't backed down at all. He wrote another column about it. Yeah, he did. He did. And there look, there's some there's some powerful words being said about it. And and Chris is one of those guys who just had some things to say. So if you missed any of that interview or any of the today's show, uh, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast. You can find it ESPNAU.com. Click on the podcast center and you'll find a commercial free right there. We had Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects and Auburn Daily joined us in the first hour here in the studio uh, to talk about Auburn Alabama basketball and then to talk baseball uh, talk about what Auburn baseball is doing their win last night in the midweek what they have coming up this weekend with Lipscomb as they get ready for a conference play coming up in just a couple of weeks so it's been a great show and again if you missed any of it be sure to go and catch up with the podcast just some final thoughts on last night's game for Auburn as they try to turn the page on a disappointing loss and get ready for Tennessee on Saturday You've got to find a way to get past it. It's going to hurt. And I know that Auburn and Bruce Pearl are upset about it today, and they should be. But borderline, bottom line is this. You've got to find a way to finish basketball games. You've got to find a way to finish. 
I know the officiating was bad. I know you had guys foul out. I know you were you blew the lead and the free throw discrepancy was bad. I get it. But this is not the first time we've seen Auburn struggle to finish a game. This is not the first time we've seen this Auburn team be unable to close out a much-needed victory when they needed it. And that has to change if you want to make any sort of noise in this month of March. It has to change. Yeah, I mean, Auburn has to you got to get that same level of effort and fight, and you need to get a little more consistency out of Wendell Green. He didn't have a great night from the floor last night. Going he doesn't have good nights from the floor. That's he, the he problem. Does. He does. He does. He absolutely does. He just doesn't, though. He does. He has, he has good scoring totals, but his shooting numbers no, are not good. Not, I mean, he has games that are good. That that's part of the inconsistency that we talk about, which is inconsistency big time. Yes, and I've that, said in I've said all be, year. If he didn't have good efficiency nights ever, then we wouldn't be talking about inconsistency because he'd be consistently bad. I just don't like that he shoots it ten to twelve times and he makes two or three of them. That's the problem I have, and it's a inconsistency issue that Auburn has. We have more to talk about it. We'll get to it tomorrow. We're out of time. Come back two to four right here on ESPN one zero six seven. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.